Section 21 of the Arabian Nights Entertainments, Volume 3. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Gillian Hendry. Section 21. The Story of Allah Adin, or The Wonderful Lamp. Part 6. When he came there, he alighted at the staircase which led up to the hall with the twenty-four windows, and went directly up to it, without giving previous notice to Allah Adin, but it happened that at that very juncture Allah Adin was opportunely there, and had just time to receive him at the door. The Sultan, without giving Allah Adin time to complain obligingly of his not having given notice, that he might have acquitted himself with the more becoming respect, said to him, Son, I come myself to know the reason why you commanded the jewellers to desist from work and take to pieces what they had done. Allah ad disguised the true reason, which was that the sultan was not rich enough in jewels to be at so great an expense, but said, I beg of you now to see if anything is wanting. The sultan went directly to the window which was left imperfect, and when he found it like the rest, fancied that he was mistaken, examined the two windows on each side, and afterwards all the four-and-twenty. But when he was convinced that the window which several workmen had been so long about was finished in so short a time, he embraced Allah ad and kissed him between his eyes. "'My son,' said he, "'what a man you are to do such surprising things, always in the twinkling of an eye. There is not your fellow in the world. The more I know, the more I admire you.' Allah ad received these praises from the sultan with modesty, and replied in these words, Sir, it is a great honour to me to deserve your majesty's good will and approbation, and I assure you I shall study to deserve them more. The sultan returned to his palace, but would not let Allah ad attend him. When he came there, he found his grand vizier waiting, to whom he related the wonder he had witnessed with the utmost admiration and in such terms as left the minister no room to doubt but that the facet was as the sultan related it, though he was the more confirmed in his belief that Allah ad palace was the effect of enchantment, as he had told the sultan the first moment he saw it. He was going to repeat the observation, but the sultan interrupted him and said, You told me so once before. I see, vizier, you have not forgotten your son's espousals to my daughter. The frank vizier plainly saw how much the sultan was prepossessed, therefore avoided disputes, and let him remain in his own opinion. The sultan, as soon as he rose every morning, went into the closet to look at Allah ad palace, and would go many times in a day to contemplate and admire it. Allah ad did not confine himself in his palace, but took care to show himself once or twice a week in the town by going sometimes to one mosque, and sometimes to another, to prayers, or to visit the Grand Vizier, who affected to pay his court to him on certain days, or to do the principal lords of the court the honour to return their visits, after he had regaled them at his palace. Every time he went out, he caused two slaves, who walked by the side of his horse, to throw handfuls of money among the people as he passed through the streets and squares, which were generally on those occasions crowded.
besides no one came to his palace gates to ask alms but returned satisfied with his liberality in short he so divided his time that not a week passed but he went either once or twice a-hunting sometimes in the environs of the city sometimes farther off at which time the villages through which he passed felt the effects of his generosity which gained him the love and blessings of the people and it was common for them to swear by his head thus without giving the least umbrage to the sultan to whom he paid all imaginable respect Ala ad deen by his affable behaviour and liberality had won the affections of the people and was more beloved than the sultan himself with all these good qualities he showed a courage and a zeal for the public good which could not be sufficiently applauded he gave sufficient proofs of both in a revolt on the borders of the kingdom for he no sooner understood that the sultan was levying an army to disperse the rebels than he begged the command of it which he found not difficult to obtain as soon as he was empowered he marched with so much expedition that the sultan heard of the defeat of the rebels before he had received an account of his arrival in the army and though this action rendered his name famous throughout the kingdom it made no alteration in his disposition but he was as affable after his victory as before Allah ad deen had conducted himself in this manner several years when the african magician who undesignedly had been the instrument of raising him to so high a pitch of prosperity recalled him to his recollection in africa whither after his expedition he had returned and though he was almost persuaded that Allah ad deen must have died miserably in the subterraneous abode where he had left him yet he had the curiosity to inform himself about his end with certainty and as he was a great geomancer he took out of a cupboard a square covered box which he used in his geomantic observations then sat himself down on the sofa set it before him and uncovered it after he had prepared and levelled the sand which was in it with an intention to discover whether or no Allah ad deen had died in the subterraneous abode he cast the points drew the figures and formed a horoscope by which when he came to examine it he found that Allah ad deen instead of dying in the cave had made his escape lived splendidly was in possession of the wonderful lamp had married a princess and was much honoured and respected the magician no sooner understood by the rules of his diabolical art that Allah ad deen had arrived to this height of good fortune than his face became inflamed with anger and he cried out in a rage this sorry tailor's son has discovered the secret and virtue of the lamp i believed his death to be certain but find that he enjoys the fruit of my labour and study i will however prevent his enjoying it long or perish in the attempt he was not a great while deliberating on what he should do but the next morning mounted a barb set forwards and never stopped but to refresh himself and horse till he arrived at the capital of china he alighted took up his lodging in a khan and stayed there the remainder of the day and the night to refresh himself after so long a journey the next day his first object was to inquire what people said of Allah ad deen and taking a walk through the town 
he went to the most public and frequented places where persons of the best distinction met to drink a certain warm liquor which he had drunk often during his former visit as soon as he had seated himself he was presented with a cup of it which he took but listening at the same time to the discourse of the company on each side of him he heard them talking of Alla ad deen's palace when he had drunk off his liquor he joined them and taking this opportunity inquired particularly of what palace they spoke with so much commendation from whence come you said the person to whom he addressed himself you must certainly be a stranger not to have seen or heard talk of prince alla ad deen's palace for he was called so after his marriage with the princess i do not say continued the man that it is one of the wonders of the world but that it is the only wonder of the world since nothing so grand rich and magnificent was ever beheld certainly you must have come from a great distance or some obscure corner not to have heard of it for it must have been talked of all over the world go and see it and then judge whether i have told you more than the truth forgive my ignorance replied the african magician i arrived here but yesterday and came from the farthest part of africa where the fame of this palace had not reached when i came away the business which brought me hither was so urgent that my sole object was to arrive as soon as i could without stopping anywhere or making any acquaintance but i will not fail to go and see it my impatience is so great i will go immediately and satisfy my curiosity if you will do me the favour to show me the way thither the person to whom the african magician addressed himself took a great pleasure in showing him the way to alla ad deen's palace and he got up and went thither instantly when he came to the palace and had examined it on all sides he doubted not but that alla ad deen had made use of the lamp to build it without attending to the inability of a poor tailor's son he knew that none but the genie the slaves of the lamp the attaining of which he had missed could have performed such wonders and piqued to the quick at alla ad deen's happiness and splendour he returned to the khan where he lodged the next point was to ascertain where the lamp was whether alla ad deen carried it about with him or where he kept it and this he was to discover by an operation of geomancy as soon as he entered his lodging he took his square box of sand which he always carried with him when he travelled and after he had performed some operations he found that the lamp was in alla ad deen's palace and so great was his joy at the discovery that he could hardly contain himself well said he i shall have the lamp and defy alla ad deen's preventing my carrying it off and making him sink to his original meanness from which he has taken so high a flight it was alla ad deen's misfortune at that time to be absent in the chase for eight days and only three were expired which the magician came to know by this means after he had performed the magical operation which gave him so much joy he went to the superintendent of the khan entered into conversation with him on indifferent subjects and among the rest told him he had been to see alla ad deen's palace 
and after exaggerating on all that he had seen most worthy of observation, added, "'But my curiosity leads me farther, and I shall not be satisfied till I have seen the person to whom this wonderful edifice belongs.' "'That will be no difficult matter,' replied the master of the can. "'There is not a day passes, but he gives an opportunity when he is in town. But at present he is not at the palace.' and has been gone these three days on a hunting-match, which will last eight. The magician wanted to know no more. He took his leave of the superintendent of the khan, and returning to his own chamber, said to himself, This is an opportunity I ought by no means to neglect, but must make the best use of it. To that end he went to a coppersmith, and asked for a dozen copper lamps, the master of the shop told him he had not so many by him, but if he would have patience till the next day, he would have them ready. The magician appointed his time, and desired him to take care that they should be handsome and well polished. After promising to pay him well, he returned to his inn. The next day the magician called for the twelve lamps, paid the man his full price, put them into a basket which he bought on purpose, and, with the basket hanging on his arm, went directly to Alla ad Deen's palace. As he approached, he began crying, Who will change old lamps for new ones? As he went along, a crowd of children collected, who hooted, and thought him, as did all who chanced to be passing by, a madman or a fool, to offer to change new lamps for old ones. The African magician regarded not their scoffs, hootings, or all they could say to him, but still continued crying, Who will change old lamps for new? He repeated this so often, walking backwards and forwards in front of the palace, that the princess, who was then in the hall with the four-and-twenty windows, hearing a man cry something, and not being able to distinguish his words, owing to the hooting of the children and increasing mob about him, sent one of her women-slaves to know what he cried. The slave was not long before she returned, and ran into the hall, laughing so heartily that the princess could not forbear herself. "'Well, Higgler,' said the princess, "'will you tell me what you laugh at?' "'Madam,' answered the slave, laughing still, "'who can forbear laughing?' to see a fool with a basket on his arm, full of fine new lamps, ask to change them for old ones, the children and mob crowding about him, so that he can hardly stir, make all the noise they can in derision of him. Another female slave, hearing this, said, Now you speak of lamps. I know not whether the princess may have observed it, but there is an old one upon a shelf of the prince's robing-room, and whoever owns it will not be sorry to find a new one in its stead. If the princess chooses, she may have the pleasure of trying if this fool is so silly as to give a new lamp for an old one, without taking anything for the exchange. The lamp this slave spoke of was the wonderful lamp which Alla ad had laid upon the shelf before he departed for the chase. This he had done several times before, but neither the princess, the slaves, nor the eunuchs had ever taken notice of it. At all other times, except when hunting, he carried it about his person. 
the princess who knew not the value of this lamp and the interest that alla ad deen not to mention herself had to keep it safe entered into the pleasantry and commanded a eunuch to take it and make the exchange the eunuch obeyed went out of the hall and no sooner got to the palace gates than he saw the african magician called to him and showing him the old lamp said give me a new lamp for this the magician never doubted but that this was the lamp he wanted there could be no other such in this palace where every utensil was gold or silver he snatched it eagerly out of the eunuch's hand and thrusting it as far as he could into his breast offered him his basket and bade him choose which he liked best the eunuch picked out one and carried it to the princess but the exchange was no sooner made than the place rung with the shouts of the children deriding the magician's folly the african magician gave everybody leave to laugh as much as they pleased he stayed not long near the palace but made the best of his way without crying any longer new lamps for old ones his end was answered and by his silence he got rid of the children and the mob as soon as he was out of the square between the two palaces he hastened down the streets which were the least frequented and having no more occasion for his lamps or basket set all down in an alley where nobody saw him then going down another street or two he walked till he came to one of the city gates and pursuing his way through the suburbs which were very extensive at length reached a lonely spot where he stopped for a time to execute the design he had in contemplation never caring for his horse which he had left at the khan but thinking himself perfectly compensated by the treasure he had acquired end of section twenty one